you know, our kids, I just think that a lot of times our kids aren't prepared uh, in that regard. And then they get to college and you're sitting in a room with 300 other students and you have this professor that everyone respects and, and he starts in on, you know, this literally happened to me. He starts in on how, you know, he thinks that all of the ecological issues that we have today are a product of Christians um, taking literally the command of God to, you know, subdue the earth. And, you know, I mean, when I was in college, that was his whole, the whole thing, the whole thing was about every ecological issue we have is fundamentally rooted back to Judeo-Christianity and um, the abuse of, you know, the authority that God gave supposedly to man in the beginning. And he framed the whole class like that. And, you know, even questions on the test, you know, were geared to get believers to deny something that they believed was true about God that had nothing to do with science. And I remember I was taking a, a test one day and in this room with maybe 500 other students and, um, and there was a question and it literally had nothing to do really with the, the science behind the issue, but it for sure was an affirmation, you know, against Christianity. And I went down to the front. I'm like, hey, listen, these two questions, I, I really, uh, first of all, I don't really see how they're relevant at all to this class. Second of all, like there's another side to this argument that you're presenting. There's a whole other side. And he's like, yeah, you know, you're right. There is another side. And um, there's great material on the other side, but, you know, I just didn't feel like I wanted to include it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you know, I mean, what the heck? <laughs> what is that? What is that all about? So, yeah. so in that situation, you know, I didn't answer the question. I didn't, mm. I, and I lost points because I didn't answer the question, but I'm not going to. And I think, like, this is a word if you're a college student, you know, don't violate your conscience, you know, mm. don't, don't just for a point on a test, don't put yourself in a position where you have to contradict. Uh, what you believe in, you know, and at the end of the day, God will always honor the decisions that you make. And I had to make a lot of decisions, you know, that may have cost me in the short term, but, you know, I don't regret, don't regret it. So good. Welcome, everybody. The Truth Podcast is here. We are so excited to bring you another episode. Um, just wanted to say thank you for listening and watching wherever you are. Sean and I are definitely blessed. What up, Sean? How you Yo, doing? How's it going? I'm not used to like looking this direction this when different. I talk to you. So. This is different. Yeah. Th- even when we like hang out, he has to sit across from me. Like if we're <laughs> at a house or anything, like it, this just doesn't feel normal. This doesn't feel normal. Uh, today, we are extremely blessed to have the head honcho the man <laughs> I know, I know, no. uh the senior pastor of calvary chapel las vegas pastor derek my dad welcome, welcome boys welcome. how we doing thanks for having me of yeah course. this I'm is honored we're honored what the heck you just uh came down to the plebes <laughs> To hang out with <laughs> us. This is a step up for me. You have no idea. <laughs> um, we wanted to take the opportunity. Uh, number one, uh, I think there's a lot of times that we're talking and there be there's just topics that sometimes, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, as much studying as we do to prepare for this, it's just like, you know, we would love somebody who um, has a higher mind than both of us and also has had so much experience with these hard topics that we have to deal with to just come in. And talk about those things. So we really want to dedicate this podcast to hitting three of what we thought were some of the hardest questions to deal with in Christianity. There probably have to be a part two, part three, part four. So just sure. prepare yourself. Okay. Um, but for, but for <laughs> this I, one, <laughs> did I sign up for more? Yeah, there's a contract that you have to sign. <laughs> um, but but you know, for this one, we wanted to hit a couple of those that we thought were important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you guys have listened to us all, you probably. You know, you see that me and Alec think we know everything for sure. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we think we can answer everything, but you know, there have been those hard topics that even we've done podcasts on and we'll explain it. We'll give you all the things, but at the end we, we pretty much say like, I don't know, you know? So we're excited just to kind of get a different perspective and a perspective that's, you know, been through more, you know, kind of doing, doing his due diligence on the Sundays and stuff like that and has, a broader spectrum of scripture and that type of thing. So, yeah. Well, we'll see, you know, <laughs> I mean, I hope I don't uh, under deliver for you guys, but I will say that I've enjoyed your podcast a lot. I think that um, I appreciate how you guys hit, 
challenging issues and you know you have great chemistry together that's awesome so, yeah we, we hey, try hey we can yeah, we just, can quit now we're done we're, we're good yeah we can <laughs> shut, shut off the podcast <laughs> sean and i want to start like a sports podcast on top of this because wow. beforehand that's all we talk about you know what i mean mm. so we would love just to to sit down with a microphone and talk about sports that'd be the best it's the two things we know in life it's, it's the bible and sports yeah, jesus and the bible <laughs> yeah, the big question the big day. question here is where did you get that love for alec where did you get the love hey for, yeah you know those conversations started with you i'm uh, just gonna say for, i just want to give a nut playing basketball against eric which i've done a couple of times he is the most savage person i'm talking <laughs> elbows like hit checks i mean i had to get like ice bath after playing against him so that's that's because the old man has got to do what he has to do because he don't he don't have it anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's funny um just real quickly before we get into this uh everybody as you guys know um if you're watching on youtube um we would love if you hit that subscribe button and like this video that really helps us get into um other people's you know feeds and stuff like that but also commenting we had really big we had some interesting comments in the last couple of weeks that good. we would love to ad probably address next podcast um but um you know that's been good and if you have questions drop them in the comments and then also you can email us at youth at cclasvegas.org um, so those are some things. And then if you're listening on Spotify and iTunes, we're really happy that you're there. Um, and then if you listen to that, go on the YouTube and comment so you can have that community and stuff like that. So just a couple things to get out of the way. Let's start off with, um, just to give a little backstory to this, this topic, we were doing a, uh, podcast on Mormonism and, um, understanding Mormonism and just trying to give a, um, you know, some understanding to their faith, but also how to minister to them and, you know, what are some differences between Mormonism and Christianity. And um, one of the things that was very, very clear was the Trinity. The Trinity is probably one of the biggest things that separates us from Mormonism, uh, one sure. of them anyway. You know, sure. they believe that uh, God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all different beings. They're not one. So as I'm studying and doing research, I came across an interview of Christians and Mormonisms, you know, arguing stuff like that. And that seemed to be one of the biggest things. That topic has come up on our podcast so often, and I feel like we haven't done a good enough job on explaining that. So the first topic that we want to talk about, the first question to you is, how do you explain the Trinitarian doctrine in, um, in, in the way you do? Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be an issue with the cults because... Uh, like across the board in every cult, there's a denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And and the Trinity teaches us that there is one God in three persons. So, uh, in, and that's like the simple explanation, right? There's one God in three persons. We see that expressed in the scripture, although we don't see the word Trinity used in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, um, references to the deity of each of the three persons of the Godhead. You know, and the reality is that each of us, if we're born again believers in Jesus Christ, we experience the Trinity every single day. Like we experience mm. the Trinity in salvation. It was the Spirit of God that was convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, leading us to the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead so that we could have a, a relationship with Father God, you know, so you have the Trinity in the work of salvation. You have Trinity in, in the prayer, in the prayer life of a believer. Mm. So, for instance, we pray by the Spirit mm -hmm. through the name of Jesus to the Father. He's the object of our prayer. Uh, as we're being sanctified and shaped by God into the image of Jesus, you see the, the process of the Trinity and sanctification. It is the Spirit of God that is working that shaping in our lives uh, conforming us into Jesus, the Son of God, for the glory of Father God. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that even, even beyond just um, defining it, the reality is that each of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we experience the triune God uh, every single day of our lives. But then we see in Scripture, you know, we for sure see the Trinity presented in, in the Word of God. I think throughout church history, there's been a lot of confusion, mm. which is why the uh, Athanasian Creed and the Nicene Creed are so important for us from a historical perspective, where the church really had to hammer out what the Trinity is and what the Trinity isn't. Uh, and, you know, those issues arose because of people who were teaching false things. There's a guy named Arius who was teaching that the Holy Spirit was just a, 
a power source and emanation that came from God. And so the church had to gather together and really sort out from the scripture, you know, what what is the Trinity? What is the mm-hmm. biblical doctrine of the Trinity? And, you know, their approach basically dealt with two issues. Number one, knowing that God is one being, what do we know is true about the being of God? And so searching the scriptures to be able to uh, answer that question. And then also, in addition to that, uh, you know, they acknowledge that God is in three persons. And so, you know, how does that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work? Uh, and so that set the parameters really on um, determining from a scriptural perspective who the Trinity is. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it does. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a question. So, what would you say the dangers would be of somebody who maybe looks at the Holy Spirit as, you know, more of an it than a he or that type of thing? Or maybe, I guess denouncing Jesus is obvious, but maybe taking out the Holy Spirit as a power. Because I think a lot of people do do that in the church or don't recognize him. Yeah, you know, I mentioned that from from time to time from from the pulpit because I think that this is a huge error for believers, you know, when we reduce the Holy Spirit to some power source, impersonal power source to plug into, and we forget that he's a person that we have a relationship with, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, as you look at the scripture, what you discover about the Holy Spirit is that he has intellect, he has knowledge, he has a mind, uh, he has a will, you know, when Jesus was talking about the coming of the Spirit, to the disciples in the upper room, he there there are seven or eight I will statements yeah. about the Holy Spirit that he makes, or he will statements. So, you know, the Spirit has a will. And as we understand that about the Spirit of God, that, that he uh, has attributes that communicate personality, we also understand that therefore he can also be grieved. Mm-hmm. You know, he can be grieved. He can be offended. You know, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that God intends us to be developing, you know, and I think that that's what's missed. Like fundamentally, that's the problem because we think about, hey, I have a relationship with God the Father, I have a relationship with God the Son, and then there's the Spirit, right? I mean, kind of like God with a little g, not as important, doesn't play as huge of a role, is just a power source for me to connect to and not a relationship for me to engage in. And the truth is that you can't live the life that God wants you to live unless you are cultivate, cultivating a relationship with the Spirit of God. Mm. And that's, really da- yeah, that's daily dependence. You know, that's, that's trust. That's understanding that when we do sin, it's not just an offense against the moral law of God. But, but in addition to that, you know, there's a Spirit, the Spirit of God that dwells within us that we're grieving as well. That's really good. I, I, I just want to ask this question on the same topic, you know, thinking about the Old Testament. And I think that when we read the Old Testament, you know, with the New Testament in mind, I think it's very easy to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in, in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, Jew, the Jews, um, and I'm, I'm not saying this should be our sense of authority in any way, but the Jews and their um, belief, I don't see... Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see them believing in the Holy, excuse me, the Holy Spirit as um, part of a triune Godhead, right? They believe in God, right? And, and I, I could be wrong, but in that in that breath, all I'm really asking is, what are Old Testament evidences for um, our belief in the Holy Spirit beyond, I guess, the New Testament? Right. Well, I mean, you have to understand that from the context, from the perspective of of a Jew, you know, they were they were the first monotheistic religion in the world, you know, so they were surrounded by polytheism, and uh, they had a completely different view of God. And obviously, that that view of God came via revelation. Mm -hmm. It was Abraham, when he was chosen by God was chosen out of a very polytheistic culture. And it wasn't as if Abraham was pursuing, you know, the God uh, who was the creator, it was just a, a by grace revelation that God gave to him. Mm. And so, you know, Israel over the course of centuries was, you know, in this very unique situation where, you know, their religious belief was dramatically different than the nations around them and one that they had to defend as well. You know, it wasn't as if, you know, there was this tolerance among all different uh nations and religions at the time, they were monotheistic, they stood out for it, and they had to defend themselves. And they had to make sure that 
that those other polytheistic beliefs were not encroaching into their worship of God because God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that monotheistic, uh, you know, context that they were in, you know, the, the concept of the Trinity had just not been fully revealed mm. at that point. It was revealed through the New Testament, through the work of Christ. But, but you know, so I'm, all I'm saying is that when it comes to the scriptures, they would not have... They would not have interpreted the spirit of God as a person in the triune Godhead, and they for sure would not have looked at the spirit as equal with God because that would have, to them, meant polytheism, which Mm. was something that they, you know, obviously had to really protect themselves against. But the concept of the Trinity is throughout the Old Testament. Like, there's just no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, the, the... the, the fundamentals or the functionality of it wasn't revealed until the New Testament. Somebody once said this. They said that um, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we think about the revelation of God, we have to understand and remember that it's progressive. It's progressive in nature. You know, the Jews were looking for Messiah. They didn't know. There were glimpses of it in the Old Testament, but they didn't realize that Messiah was not just going to come to establish, you know, a, a millennial kingdom and rule. Mm. He had to suffer first. And so we see the fullness of that revealed in the New Testament. We see glimpses of it and hints of it in the Old Testament. And the same can be said for the Trinity. Yeah. When the Bible talks about God as the creator, and I know you guys know this, but when it talks about God as the creator in Genesis chapter 1, the word that's used for God is Elohim, El is singular in Hebrew for God. Elohim, when you add the im at the end, it pluralizes the noun. But the verb that's used is singular. So, you know, the verb always correlates to whether the noun is singular or plural or neuter. And um, what we see in the first chapter of Genesis is that while there's a plural noun that's used, the verb that's used is singular, there's an indication there already, Mm -hmm. already. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hero Israel, uh, the Lord your God is one. You know, that word echad is a compound noun. And so that indicates that there is a oneness, but within that oneness, there's something more that's happening. Mm. I really struggle with using like earthly illustrations for things like this because they always break down. Yeah. And yeah. It, for me, it's like, oh, I hate even saying it because it almost diminishes the glory of God. So yeah. when I say it, don't, don't hate on me for this, but you know, like an egg. That's, that's, <laughs> that's mine right there. Right? <laughs> so, so, so like, like you have an yeah. egg. It is, yeah. It's one, but there, there's, there's multiple aspects to it. Now, listen, when we talk about the Trinity, I would never use an egg to illustrate the, the Trinity. Yeah. I would use an equilateral triangle. You know, you have the Father and you have the Son. The Son eternally, this is the language of the Nicene Creed, the Son eternally proceeds forth from the Father we see that worked out, you know, when you, when you think about the Trinity, you think about it in two aspects. You think about the um, economic Trinity, which is the Trinity that's revealed in the history of humanity, and the imminent Trinity, which is the Trinity that's existed throughout all of eternity. Mm-hmm. And both of those things have to correlate. They can't contradict each other. We know eternally the Son has proceeded from the Father. We know historically the Son came forth from the Father and then the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. There was some argument over this in the 4th century when they were hammering out uh, the Nicene Creed, but this was the conclusion that they came to, that the Spirit proceeded from both. So uh, all that back to say that, um, that the Old Testament speaks of, it speaks of, it gives hints of mm. the, the Trinity. You know, yeah. that's not even mentioning the reality that Messiah is referred to uh, as Yahweh in the Old Testament. Yeah. You just read the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, uh, and you see as the author to the book of Hebrews pulls from all of these Old Testament verses and then and then attributes the very name of God to Messiah. That's beautiful. That was really good. Yeah, that's the best <laughs> I've ever heard it explained for sure. <laughs> and I think even, like, the, even the egg part. <laughs> I think that's when we did it. Like like you said, when a, when a pastor goes on a pulpit, a lot of times they will immediately go to those like you know I, you hear the egg one you hear maybe like 
oh, it's the, when you flick a light switch, like yeah. God's the one flicking it and right. Jesus is the light switch, but the power that turns it on is that, you know, all that stuff. There's your yeah. Pentecostal church said that, huh? Yeah, I think that's where I learned. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, pastors, they, they love their illustrations for sure and all that crazy stuff. But I think that, and just like linking scripture for sure. And I think that's huge too, because I know Jewish people, that's one of the things they have the hardest part with with christianity is they think we believe in three separate gods you know yeah and i think explaining it like that is just you know a great way to evangelize them for sure i wanted to switch it up now um to kind of get into kind of evolution and kind of just you know how science mixes with the bible i know i mean i went to public school so i learned about the evolution and all that stuff coming up and i and i know when you go to public colleges and all that stuff not christian ones or that type of thing the the professors are going to attack you and that type of yeah, thing and sure. that happens all the time so yeah. what would you say to those people that are dealing with that with their professor and also is there a mix between science and the bible and how should we look at evolution those are great questions um there's so much to talk about yeah i give you a lot <laughs> we got all day <laughs> i could have talked about the other stuff a lot longer too you know just the deity of jesus christ and you know, those are those are great topics. Don't you know? hold back. This is going to be well, a sermon on Sunday <laughs> this week. <laughs> it, could be. it could be. You know, I just, you know, really, I think, you know, it's so important to remember so much of what, what we believe, obviously, is oriented around the Son, um, not to the exception of the Father or the Spirit, but like really understanding the nature of God is critical because God, God wants a relationship with yeah. us. You know, like if I'm, uh, obviously... I'm married because you're my son. <laughs> we have, you know, mom and I have a great relationship and uh, we celebrate our 24th, 25th anniversary this year. Mm. And um, I mean, I can't, I'll tell you right now, like I, I'm still growing and knowing her and part of the great joy of my life is getting to know your mom more and, um, and just to see how beautiful she is, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And, and there's a, there's a, a great pleasure in that. And that's the, one of the beauties of relationship, you know, I mean, what would life be without relationship? And, and I think that's so key mm -hmm. with our understanding of God, because, you know, it's easy for us to want to just break down our understanding of God to principles uh, and key theological statements. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's more than that. It's more, I want to know more. I want to know about the Trinity because my God's amazing. Yeah. And the more I discover about him, the more I want to worship him. You know, I love, I love the sunset. We're beach people. We love to go and, and just see the sunset uh, on the Pacific. And, and, you know, you drink it in, you enjoy it, and it connects you to the creator. Well, how much more when, when we're in the word of God and we're thinking about the Trinity and our little finite brain is on is on overdrive and it's overheating and we're like, man, how does that work? How is there three persons in one? The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, but they're all one. Like those <laughs> yeah, things are, yeah. you know, if you could just ex explain God in a sentence, it'd be like, what God are you worshiping? I'm so thankful that the Scripture. Uh, presents to us a God that is unfathomable, you know, that can be known, but then at the same time, the reality is we will never have a complete and total understanding of this, you know, unknowable God. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, I think that these things are important and they're exciting to study. You know, when you think about the deity of Jesus Christ and he's not just a a rabbi or a prophet or, you know, some dude that came with a, a new set of guidelines to follow, yeah. you know, and frankly, like I thought that that's what Christianity was before I was a Christian. I thought it was just a, another list of rules and, you know, another religious leader. And what's the big deal? You know, you have Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and Zoroaster, you got new ageism and all these different things that people follow. And fundamentally they're the same. And there really is no distinction, and it's like you read the you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you understand that this this character, this Son of God, is different than anybody else yeah. who has absolutely ever lived. And to to see that, to see the beauty of of Jesus laid out in Scripture, 
um, is really what I think the Christian journey is all about. You know, I mean, that's what, and I, and I think, you know, God help us in leadership not to just reduce Christianity to a series of do's and don'ts, because I'll tell you right now, you guys know this. We, that's how we do lose kids. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly how we do lose kids. If we're not cultivating, helping them cultivate a living relationship with, you know, the God of the universe, why, when they get to college, why would they ever even want to for sure continue in that? Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> so maybe we can talk about the deity of Christ another time, but, but I think, you know, when you get to, when you get to high school, you know, back to your question, Sean, mm-hmm. um, sorry, thanks for the little rabbit trail. No, it's really good. But you uh, know, don't, don't hold yeah, back. Yeah. Just let it go. <laughs> like we're here. Like this All is, right. we'll get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you get to like issues of, um, evolution, you know, or, or other issues that you deal with, like in a, um, a high school environment or a college environment, you know, your faith gets challenged, your faith gets challenged. And I think that there, I'm, I'm not afraid of questions for my faith. You know, I got saved at UC Irvine, um, in a very hostile environment to Christianity. Uh, and so like I had to learn to, I had to learn to defend my faith, you know, immediately. And, you know, one thing I did learn was that God doesn't need us to defend him. Mm. And sometimes I think that we kind of, we, we frame our engagement with the secular world like that. You know, it's us versus them. And that for sure is not, mm. it, that's not how it works. And that's not going to reach anybody, right. you know. God just wants to use us as a as a, a conduit, you know, to reach those who who are living in darkness, who don't understand, who are deceived, you know, um, who are living in sin. And, and we can identify with that because I was there, like that's the life that I was living. And so, you know, but he, he, early on, especially at UC Irvine, you know, my um, undergraduate was environmental law. And so I was taking all of the evolutionary sciences and, and um, you know, I ran into conflicts with my classmates and my friends and um, professors and, um you know, I think when it comes to the issue of, of evolution, um, if you're in a debate and, you know, the debate's being framed as it's either evolution or the belief that God exists, I would say that that's like a, that's a false dichotomy. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a, that framework is not, is not accurate. And what I'm going to say, I'm not going to say that I necessarily uh, believe in when you carry it all the way through but even if evolution was true it does not deny the existence of Mm. a creator Mm -hmm. it just doesn't like so you can have planted your flag on evolutionism but um but you can't say definitively that that even if that mechanism for for the existence of living things was true, you can't simultaneously say that that discounts the existence of God because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what if, and I don't believe this, but we'll talk about this too, what if God created the mechanism of, of evolution? Mm-hmm. What if God, you know, like the deist believes, what if, what if there was an intelligent designer that started the ball rolling but then stepped away? And so, you know, there are, for the person that that has put the situation in this either or type of framework, you know, they've got bigger questions that they have to answer. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're on the college campus, you have to understand, like, that framework is faulty to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I, I would also say that um, that I don't think that evolutionism and biblical theism or the biblical creation account, I don't believe that they're compatible. They're just not compatible because the Bible teaches that God created everything out of absolutely nothing. Yeah. And the order, as you read through the order of creation in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, the order is in conflict with, you know, the process of of evolution. Yeah. Bible does not for sure teach that things were developed through the mechanism of natural selection. It doesn't say that anywhere. And then if you believe that that, in fact, was the case, what about the fall of man? What about the Garden of Eden? What about original sin? You know, I mean, there are bigger questions, you know, that you end up having to answer. And so I, I think that I think that, you know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the concept of evolution is just it's it's in conflict with 
uh, the book of Genesis. And, you know, unless you're going to take Genesis chapter 1 to 11 and just, you know, interpret it allegorically, which is yeah. what some people do. Like, they're, they're way out. Yeah, that was going to be my other question. Um, not, I'm not going to say my, my Christian college now because I'm hating on them, but <laughs> I did go to Christian college, and I did have professors in Christian college, and a lot of the people I went with that saw Genesis more as, like you said, kind of more poetic in a sense and not, this isn't exactly how it happened, but it's like a picture kind of how it happened and, you know, super, super artsy college people. So sure. would you say you would take it more and we should look at it more as a literal translation? Of what I happened? think, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a, a, a science to Bible interpretation and it's, um, you know, the hermeneutics that we employ to get to the interpretation of scripture can't just be arbitrarily applied. You know, I mean, there are times where, where, you know, the Bible itself demands us to view something as a metaphor or a simile, you know, or a picture. But there's it, it, the evidence of that is always contained within the words. You know, just like we're communicating right now, and there's a process that we have for interpreting what we say to each other. If I just start going arbitrary on you guys and just you know, say that what you say can mean anything that I want it to. Yeah. It's like the whole concept of communication completely breaks down. So we don't, we don't allow ourselves the latitude to do that anywhere. And if we do do that, we get ourselves in trouble. It's drama, right? When we miscommunicate, it's drama. And then you have to go back and clean the mess up. No, this is what I meant. So all I'm saying is I think God says what he means and God means what he says. And they're then as you take Genesis chapter 1 to 11 and you look throughout the scripture, the rest of scripture presents, interprets those chapters literally. Like the whole method of interpretation isn't something that we need to create ourselves. It's applied, you know, as it was. Jesus said it, as it was in the days of Noah, so it also will be in the coming yeah. of the days of the Son of Man. Like that's not a... That's not an allegory. You know, he's talking about a real historical event with real yeah. historical people and, and things that ensued. So, um, no, I don't think, I think that Christians are afraid. I think that they feel like, you know, they're, they're almost in retreat from science, which I don't think that has to be the case. Some of the greatest scientists in the world were lovers of God. And because they loved God, they wanted to understand his creation. It mm. wasn't, a, it didn't de-incentivize them it incentivized them to, to really dig deeper. You know, one, if you like pay attention to like neo-atheists neo -atheists and um, people that don't believe in God, they're humanists, but they're, um, you know, really popular, the really popular ones right now, they'll actually say that Christianity, the Christian faith is a detriment to science because instead of searching for answers, you know, Christians just say, well, God did it. Well, that's just false. Like, that's that's not true. I know many scientists and physicists, you know, that are top in their field that pursue their understanding of science, you know, the answers for why things are the way they are because of their love for God, and it leads them to a greater worship of, of, of God. So I don't think that science and Christianity are incompatible. I think that Genesis is to be read just like it, it has, has, has laid out are there unanswerable questions? Are there times where it's like, well, that seems to be in conflict? Well, yeah, I think that there are. Sometimes it's because we're interpreting something wrong. Sometimes it's because we don't have all of the answers from science. You know, sometimes the answers that we're looking to in science are actually a moving target, you know, and I'm studying quantum mechanics right now. Wow. Oh. <laughs> what, what a fun hobby. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so cool. I yeah. study YouTube in my spare time. <laughs> it's, it's connected to cosmology. And, um, you know, I'm listening to a lot of these guys. Are, they're not believers. But, um, but um, it is interesting to hear them talk about things. And, you know, they'll, they'll admit it. Hey, this was what we believed. You know, this was what we believed 15 or 20 years ago, this is what we believe now. One guy I'm, I'm listening to, you know, is proposing based on his, his understanding of quantum physics, he's proposing that the Big Bang was not really an event, that the universe is not, um, is, 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 uh, the universe did not just come into existence, but in fact, the universe is eternal. This is his argument. 
and he uses quantum physics to back this up. I don't agree with this conclusion, obviously, but but the universe itself is eternal and in fact has multiple universes in it. But, you know, as he's talking, he's like, well, that theory changed and that theory changed and that theory changed. So all I'm saying is sometimes when we see a conflict, mm -hmm. it might be, be because science really hasn't nailed down definitively the absolute yeah. answer. Like, sorry. No, keep going. Like, you know, uh, the standard model for, for the atom, proton, neutron, electron. Well, now we know that there's a deeper, deeper level to that. There's quarks, there's leptons, there's neutrinos, when did there's that muons, change? there's gluons. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that in school. <laughs> yeah, well, it's Man. changed. It's so, crazy. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, we are going to do a podcast on deconstructionism um, pretty soon. There's a very famous um, YouTube channel, and they're two guys who grew up in a Baptist church, and um, they're no longer Christians. You know, we're going to do our whole spiel on that. But one of the reasons that they show, um, you know, that they're they're no longer Christians because they couldn't um, understand the balance. They couldn't understand evolution, all the evidence for evolution, quote unquote, and um, they felt like that ruined the Bible. Um, but as I'm reading or listening to their story, I don't know if Sean feels the same way. As I'm I'm listening to the story, I see the Christian community that they grew up in. Their automatic response to evolution was, "Well, everybody has an agenda, so don't just don't listen to it, or don't study it, or you know what I mean." Yeah. And I almost feel like we put ourselves in a spot where if someone finds out that evolution is real, then it destroys everything about Christianity. So how do we, how do we balance science as Christians? How do we study science? How do we pursue an understanding for those things? You know, just for an example, you know, we have a vaccine coming out for COVID and our, and our view is we trust the, the scientists because they're the ones, you know, they understand, you know, they're the ones who, I don't understand everything about it. We have to trust the experts. So how do we balance that with um, these moving targets of science, such as the Big Bang Theory or evolution? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And uh, like it's played out in all sorts of different areas within our lives. I do think that um, it's an unfortunate situation when we raise up our kids and we put them in a position, we actually put them in a position where they're not prepared to engage with the world. Mm -hmm. And and they're put in a position where, uh, you know, what the world thinks is framed as something that they should be um, afraid of. I'm obviously not talking about issues of morality and things like that, but, you know, just for instance, with, with evolution, there are parts of evolution that I don't disagree with. You know, I for sure agree with microevolution. I believe with adaptation within a species. I right. think it's it's observable, right? Those are things that you can measure. Um, they're they're quantifiable. They're undeniable. Macroevolution. You know, we're talking about unobservable things, and there's no fossil record uh, for them as well. So so like we have an issue there. And then with the age of the universe, you know, this might frustrate some, um, you know, and while I do believe from like a, a linguistics point of view that typically the word day or yom in Hebrew is used consistently for day, we're talking about days of creation. Mm -hmm. um, while I do believe that that's the case, that, um, that there's a good argument to be made for a literal six day uh, creation scene. Um, I also think that there is the possibility for gaps to be between those days. I think mm -hmm. that there is the possibility for a day age argument. You know, I'm not going to just discount um, the idea that the earth might be older than 7,000 years because I don't believe in the um, science of radiocarbon dating. You know, like I, I know all those arguments and, and I think, you know, if we plant our flags on those things and are absolutely defiant in some of those areas, we'll, we'll lose the bigger, we'll lose the bigger issue mm. for, and, and for one, you know, it's, it's our kids and their capacity to be able to understand the other side, mm. to, to be able to sort out, you know, from like a surgical point of view, those things that they, they absolutely need to draw the line on the sand with. Hey, you know, like I, I don't believe in that because I don't believe the science backs that up. And in addition to that, I believe it's in, in conflict with key elements of scripture and things that don't necessarily really matter. So, 
you know, our kids, I just think that a lot of times our kids aren't prepared uh, in that regard. And then they get to college and you're sitting in a room with 300 other students and you have this professor that everyone respects and, and he starts in on, you know, this literally happened to me. He starts in on how, you know, he thinks that all of the ecological issues that we have today are a product of Christians um, taking literally the command of God to, you know, subdue the earth. And, you know, I mean, when I was in college, that was his whole, the whole thing, the whole thing was about every ecological issue we have is fundamentally rooted back to Judeo-Christianity and um, the abuse of, you know, the authority that God gave supposedly to man in the beginning. And he framed the whole class like that. And, you know, even questions on the test, you know, were geared to get believers to deny something that they believed was true about God that had nothing to do with science. And I remember I was taking a, a test one day and in this room with maybe 500 other students and, um, and there was a question and it literally had nothing to do really with the, the science behind the issue, but it for sure was an affirmation, you know, against Christianity. And I went down to the front. I'm like, hey, listen, these two questions, I, I really, uh, first of all, I don't really see how they're relevant at all to this class. Second of all, like there's another side to this argument that you're presenting. There's a whole other side. And he's like, yeah, you know, you're right. There is another side. And um, there's great material on the other side, but, you know, I just didn't feel like I wanted to include it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you know, I mean, what the heck? <laughs> what is that? What is that all about? So, yeah. so in that situation, you know, I didn't answer the question. I didn't, mm. I, and I lost points because I didn't answer the question, but I'm not going to. And I think like, this is a word, if you're a college student, you know, don't violate your conscience, you know, mm. don't, don't just for a point on a test, don't put yourself in a position where you have to contradict uh, what you believe in, you know, and at the end of the day, God will always honor the decisions that you make. And I had to make a lot of decisions, you know, that may have cost me in the short term, but, you know, I don't regret, don't regret it. So good. So powerful. Yeah, that's really good. And I I just like that because I don't know, I, especially like when I was growing up in church and that type of thing, it's almost like don't touch the evolution stuff, you know? And a lot of Christians have a fear of if I look into that, I'm going to figure out like Christianity is fake or something like that. And it's just going to destroy it. And I just think us, how can we share the gospel to other people if we don't understand the other side they may be coming from that comes from evolution. And we've been doing the religion podcast and looking at other religions. Mm -hmm. I can't tell someone Jesus is the way if I don't understand why Muhammad's not the way, you know, and that type of thing. So yeah, definitely an encouragement to look into that stuff for sure. I think it's really big. Yeah, and just real quick on that, I think that for some, all right, I'm not like generalizing. You got to be ready though, for sure. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that for some, science has become their religion. Mm-hmm. So like when you're talking about dealing with other religions, for some people, science is their God. Science is their God. Science is their answer. Like I listen to some of these very brilliant people talk about science and I'm like, man, you could just, for me, I could take the word <laughs> science out and put the word Jesus in. <laughs> And it's, it's literally, it's literally almost the same thing. And so, um, you know, it's more than just for some, it's more than just this intellectual thing. They, they are worshiping, they are worshiping the capacity of man to know and to understand. And that's not new, you know, I mean, there were three gods that were worshiped and ancient Israel and, um, and one God, there was money, there was lust and there was the knowledge of man. And um, man still worships knowledge. Mm. That's so good. All right, let's jump into the last of the big questions. So I think a lot of people get into that. But another thing that's happening, especially with COVID and, you know, 2020 was crazy and all that stuff. A lot of people ask kind of why is there so much suffering and hardship, you know, with the world? If God is perfect and he created everything, how, how do we still have, you know, this suffering and hardship in the world we live in? Yeah, Thanks for the, thanks for the softball. <laughs> we, we like construct, we're like oh sat down, gosh. we're like, we're going to get the Yo, hardest question. Uh, we got to give it to yeah. him, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I, I think like before I answer that question, which what, which, you know, I think that there are two solid answers to this. 
Um, but before I do, like it's undeniable that um, suffering is existential. It's real. It's subjective. It's called pain because it hurts, you know. And and uh, you know, I I always hesitate in answering these questions because I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we just want to have the answer. Sometimes, especially when it's an issue of um, when it's what's when we're being questioned about our faith and the existence of God and how can, you know how can there be a God of love when, you know, we, and we want to like drop that answer that's going to really settle the issue. But, but, you know, sometimes I think that we forget that people's suffering is real, you know, and, and as a pastor, I deal with this every single day, you know, I mean, I don't just sit in my office and drink espresso and study the Bible. You know, I love those moments when I get to do that, but but I'm sitting with people whose kids have committed suicide, and I'm sitting with people whose marriage of 50 years has just mm. fallen apart because of adultery. You know, I mean, I'm sitting with people that um, that have suffered the loss of jobs. You know, I I do memorial services for people who've died of uh, COVID-19, and and so you know, for me, it's not just this uh, like intellectual exercise it's um the reality that people do struggle and when you struggle it's like god where are you you know i mean Mm. god where are you i know even as a christian like can we just be honest about this even as a christian fully rooted and grounded in your relationship with god when you go through something that hurts you're you're tempted to think the same thing you know it feels it feels like a paradox god i know you love me but how how is it that you've allowed this in my life? Mm. You know, sometimes even harder because you know that he loves you, but here you've got this great difficulty to deal with. And Mary and Martha struggled with it. You know, their brother Lazarus died and, and they said to him, if you had just been here, you know, if you would have just been here, our brother would not have died. Like they walked with Jesus. They went through suffering and they didn't understand it. And so, you know, I don't like to just drop platitudes and, oh, here, you know, here's how we tie that difficult one off next. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't think that. And, you know, if you're listening to this and, you know, you're a Christian, like consider that, you know, consider that people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And I okay. think like, let's let's be sensitive. Let's listen to people. Let's let's not be dishonest about our own struggles, you know, and let's meet people where they're at. That being said, I think that the very argument, you know, that that gets framed like this, how can there be a God when there's so much evil in the world? The very argument itself is self-defeating. You know, the very argument itself actually presupposes the existence of God, because when we talk about evil, you know, and this is this, like I would say this is a it's a common argument, you know, that's made um, in defense of, you know, that question. But when we talk about evil uh, and we're acknowledging evil, we're acknowledging darkness, we're acknowledging wickedness, uh, we're acknowledging things as not being morally good or things not being right or best for society. What we're acknowledging simultaneously is that there's a good yeah. that exists that that we use as a measure to discover those things that are on the opposite end, to discover what evil is. Like, in other words, you know, there is no evil without good and so in, in saying that there is evil, we're also simultaneously saying that there is good. And not just that there is good, but that there's a consistent acknowledgement as to what good is, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, this was, the, this was the thing that won C.S. Lewis to faith in Christ. C.S. Lewis, Oxford professor, brilliant guy, um, agnostic at best, went through World War I, was not a believer in the God of the Bible, but then as he started to look at nations across the world and throughout time, he recognized that there was this one consistent thing that existed, and it was this this light of conscience, like the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, this moral law that seemed to be planted within the very heart of humanity, this understanding across the board mm-hmm. as to what is good and, and what is evil. I was just... It was so, in, I was just, I'm also, I'm studying everything. That's, that's my issue. <laughs> but I was watching this, um, I was watching this documentary on ancient Egypt and, um, and in their book of the dead, not encouraging you to read it, 
But in the in their <laughs> in their book of the dead, part of the process in the afterlife for them, we obviously know this is not true. But part of the process in the afterlife for them is um, negative confession. So so when they stand before the god Amun, I think they believe that part of the process of of going to the next phase is acknowledging all those things that you didn't do. Mm. You know, all those um, evil things that you never engaged in. And it was very fascinating for me to listen to this Egyptologist go through the list. I mean, we're talking about 3,600 years ago. Go through this list of things that today we see the scripture declares Mm. as morally evil and consistently across the board. We're talking 3,600 years ago. I, you know, I have not stolen. I have not been unfaithful to my wife. I have not, you know, and and so, so there is like, it is undeniable. There is a, a light of conscience that God has placed. Are there variants to this, to this? Are there nuances? Yeah, there are. But for the most part, like it is across the board. If there is that, that moral, light or the moral law within every heart, there must also be a moral lawgiver. This is the argument. This is where you have to go because natural selection, and this is a, this is most neo atheists know this natural selection does not lead you to a moral structure or a moral system. It doesn't lead you to what is good. Altruism is not going to lead you to this type of moral consistency across humanity, across time. It's just not possible. In fact, natural selection in some ways would would encourage the opposite yeah. because it's survival of the fittest. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you would be you would be endorsing the Machiavellian, like the ends always justifies the means type of things, but that's just not the case. So, so I think the acknowledgement of evil leads us to an understanding that God does exist. And then in addition to that, the second thing I would say, is that the concept of relationship opens up the opportunity for pain. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea of relationship. So so God is a God who wants to have a relationship with us. You know, he doesn't just want little uh, automatons. He doesn't want little robots. He doesn't want, you know, um, little beings that just, you know, uh, move according to the dictates of his will without having their own human responsibility, their own will, their own ability to exercise their will as an expression of obedience or love. Like we know in the book of Genesis, that's the purpose of planting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. There was a, a choice. There was a decision that had to be made, an opportunity to express Um, love and relationship with God. And, you know, that opportunity wouldn't have existed unless there was an opportunity to disobey. But the very fact that God wants a relationship with us means that there's the potential for rejection. Mm. And when there's the potential for rejection, there's also the potential for pain and for dysfunction. And really the fruit of what we see today in in evil, um, in disease, in uh, victimization, in racism, um, in you know trading people as a as if they were nothing but a, a physical good, you know, uh, physical material to benefit somebody else's desire. All of that is traced back to the brokenness that ensued mm. from the decision in the garden, and that relationship fundamentally with God was broken. And and so what we see today is. Is, is an expression of, you know, original sin. And, you know, I think it was, um, I think it was, it was Augustine. Uh, it was one of the early church fathers. His argument was, even though God knew that, even God knew that there would be evil that would come into the world, it was better for the sake of good. It was better for, that still to play out because in the end, you know, the goodness of God is what is going to be exalted and revealed and, and experienced. And so, so, you know, that was, um, it's not that God causes the evil. He's allowed it, but he has not caused it. It's a function of our own decision. Mm. So good. Uh, if, you know, we have uh, a lot of younger people, anywhere from high schoolers to college age, that are listening to this podcast. And 
if you were going to give them any advice, young person in the time that we're in, uh, being a Christian, maybe whatever, wherever they're at, what would that advice be for someone younger in this time? You know, that's a good question. And um, I think that uh, I'm preparing, you know, for a study in a couple of weeks. And it's uh, it's on Paul's personal testimony. And Paul, Paul, in this particular situation, Paul shares his testimony three times in the book of Acts. And this is the second time he shares it that I'm going to be teaching on. And he's actually in, he's on the Temple Mount. He has this opportunity he's always been waiting for. He's always wanted the yeah. opportunity to share to share on the Temple Mount. And he's got a minute. He's got a moment. What does he share? He shares his testimony. He shares, mm-hmm. you know, what Jesus did in his life mm-hmm. and, and what Jesus was doing in his life. And so my encouragement, like, I think this is important because there's one thing that no one can take from you, and that's your personal testimony. That's mm-hmm. your story. Amen. That's the story of what God has done in your life how you met Jesus Christ, you know, the transformation and change that he's working in you, how he is currently, like it's a living relationship, what he's doing currently, how he's answering prayer, how he's leading and guiding you. Um, I think, you know, this is the most important thing for young people because, you know, the world's going to come at you. It's going to hit you with all these different things. Your, Your faith is going to be challenged, but you have to be able to, at the end of the day, say, you know what? I know what he did in my life, and I know what he's doing in my life. And if, you know, your relationship with God is boiled down to just do's and don'ts, you'll never get that. Mm. You will never get that. And I think that was the big thing that we prayed for you, Alec, you know, was that um, you would you would have, as as well as Hannah and Levi, that you guys would have your own personal experience mm. with Christ in an undeniable way, because you can't have a relationship with him through somebody else. You have to have your own experiences with him where he is real to you. And if you're listening today, look, I, I would encourage you, maybe you're, you're hearing all that and you're like, man, I don't get that. Like, I don't get it from my parents. My parents are just like, you know, don't do this because the Bible says don't do this. Well, why? Why does the Bible say that? Like when, mm. when we were raising you, it wasn't like we just use the Bible to manage your behavior. Yeah. We're like, hey, this is why God says this, you know. But, you know, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you have felt <laughs> listening. Maybe you have felt like um, it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Um, you remember, you live the way you live as an expression of worship to God. You do what you do because you love him, not just a not just to make your parents happy because you know what? One day you're not going to be living in their house and then what are you going to have? You know, then, then what are you going to have to guide the decisions that you make? So ask him, right? I mean, ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to guide you. Ask him to answer prayers. Believe that he is going to answer prayers. Make sure that your faith is solid and steadfast in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about you being a good boy or you being a good girl, it's about you trusting in his sacrifice and his resurrection, and that just developing day by day. Last thing real quick, I had, you know, I think, you know, this kid's a sophomore, he came up to me after the service, and he's like, hey, I'm really trying to be consistent in my Bible reading, like, could you have any advice? I'm, I'm struggling, like, I'm struggling. I said, well, look, this is what I do, and I pulled my phone out, and, um, and I showed him an app I use, it's a journaling app, and um, I said, this is, I'm, I'm reading a portion of scripture, like I'll read a chapter, I'll wait for God to speak to my heart, I'll copy and paste it, I'll put it in my journal, and then I'll just make it, turn it into a prayer. And then I'll start adding prayer requests to it too, you know, and then I flipped through and like, I got this history of what God's spoken to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was blessed, you know, this young guy, this young man was just wanting to grow in his relationship with the Lord and wanted to be more disciplined. So I just would encourage that. That's so cool. I think the that's the best way that in my mind that we could end a, a topic on hard questions is just to go back to what God did in your life. Because at the end of the way, nobody yeah. can take that away from you, you know. And I just actually had a conversation with a young a young guy myself who was talking about this is my first day fasting, and you know I wanted to take my relationship that's with God awesome. deeper. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's what a blessing to hear that, you know. So that that was beautiful, beautifully put, you know. It was really good for sure. It was good conversations for sure. I, I feel like, <laughs> like I think we covered it pretty well. So yeah, yeah. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you guys yeah, thank you, for thank being you. here Thanks with for us. Having me. Um, that was amazing. I think um, it brought clarity to my mind on a lot of topics. You know that even, uh, even that we're wrestling through as mm-hmm. we're doing these podcasts. You know, and um, just as 
Christian young men ourselves, you know, so that blessed my heart. I know it's going to bless so many people that are listening. So we thank you for, for doing that. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you guys. For sure. And if you Thanks. guys have any questions at all, like send it to us and, you know, we're going to do our best to answer them, you know, so there's yeah. some, some deep questions for sure. So Yeah. And we'll, yeah. we'll relay them back to you so that you can come back and answer them, you know. <laughs> we're going to give you like 50 <laughs> questions to answer. <laughs> um, listen, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That really helps us out. So um, if you enjoyed it, make sure to like that, that hit that like button um, and follow us for uh, episodes every Wednesday. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, have a great rest of your day. See y'all later.